The Toby Gribbon Show. Highlights. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Craig Shemin is a former Jim Henson Company staff writer, Muppet historian and president of the non-profit organisation The Jim Henson Legacy. Shemin wrote the Muppets character encyclopedia and now he's released his latest book, Sam and Friends, the story of Jim Henson's first television show. And Craig is on the line with us here. How are you doing today? Boy, that guy sounds impressive. <laughs> yeah, he does. You should try and book him well i've tried <laughs> so i think every muppets fan knows the significance of salmon friends but everyone else most of them has probably never heard of it right yeah that's pretty true um for there are a lot of the people out there and um i think in the uk it might be a little different but um a lot of the world first uh, heard of jim henson when he started doing sesame street yeah. And they didn't know, you know, he was sort of an overnight success, but they didn't know he had been doing this for almost 15 years at that point. And Sam and Friends is the very beginning, you know. Uh, he started doing this right when he was getting out of college, or I mean, sorry, right when he was getting out of high school. Mm. Uh, and uh, he had just started uh, college or university, as you might say. And um, this uh, was uh, the beginning of everything that came later. It's often noted that he used puppetry as a means to an end, really, to get into television. He didn't really want to be a puppeteer, despite that being what he was ultimately known for. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, he wanted to work in television, and the only reason that he uh, took up puppetry is that he heard that a local TV station uh, was looking for a young puppeteer to do um, a TV show on the weekends. They had, were... Um, trying to do a kid's version of this daily news show that was happening on, on CBS. So the local CBS station said, oh, we'll do what the national show does during the week. We'll do it on weekends, though, and we'll do it with kids. Yeah. So um, the, the, uh, the network show during the week had uh, puppeteer Bill Baird do lip syncs to records. So they said, well, we'll get a young puppeteer. And when Jim found out that that's what they wanted, he figured that was his way into the TV station. So he went to the library and got books out on puppetry and built some puppets and taught himself, really, uh, how to puppeteer. Now, what was it that interested you in writing a book about the story of Sam and Friends? 
You know, that's a really good question, but I, I think uh, part of it was that I had learned a bit about it. I started working as an intern at the Henson Company yeah. in 1987 when Jim was still alive. And then I went to work for the company um, when I graduated from college. And at that point, I would spend my free time in the office. And if I had a lunch hour, you could go to the, our conference room, which had a lot of old videotapes on the wall mm. back when people were still using videotapes. Yeah. And you could take a videotape and put it in the machine and eat your lunch and watch uh, some of these really old um, films. And that's when I was first exposed to the, the, this work. And I thought it was really fascinating. And over the years, and I spent time working at the company and getting to know Jane Henson, who was Jim's partner in these early days, uh, when she was Jane Nebel, they didn't uh, marry until a, a couple of years into Sam and Friends. Um, it was a really fascinating part. Uh, the more I heard from from Jane, and for many years, I said, "Well, this would be a really cool book." But there are only about fifteen episodes that survive on film, and um, I didn't think there would be enough to work from. And then later on, the Henson Archives found uh, some reel-to-reel -reel tapes that Jim had made himself. And um, that represented more than 400 episodes where you could hear the audio of the show. You couldn't see it. Mm. And then I thought, well, gee, this is really something. We can, we can really do a book and sort of show the world exactly what the show – well what the show represented because for many years it was sort of just this footnote in the in the Henson story and no one knew exactly what it was it's like well Jim and Jane they lip sync to, to songs and they did this and it was but there wasn't really um, a, a, a decent representation of what the show really was on on a daily basis now because so little was known about it how did you manage to write a book of 606 pages? <laughs> Where did you get your information? I didn't set out to, to write one that long. It just sort of, uh, uh, yeah, it's a combination of those reel-to-reel -reel tapes that I mentioned, mm. as well as um, the scripts that survived. Uh, Jane Henson kept uh, a lot of the metal acetate um, recording discs that they would play from the control room. Yeah. Um, and Jim kept a lot of song lists. So there's this paper trail. Jim was really good about saving stuff. He didn't necessarily label things well, but he saved everything. So um, I was given access to the Jim Henson Company archives. So there were lots of there were lots of documents and lots of recordings, uh, and and I was able to sort of piece together and cross-reference, you know, I could say, oh, here's this recording, let me compare it against the script. And the script has no date on it, but the recording has a partial date. And I can put these things together and try and figure out uh, where it all belonged. And then uh, a lot of what, what's wonderful now is that a lot of uh, organizations, news organizations have online databases of their um, old newspapers. So yeah. I was able to look up uh, TV listings from the Washington Evening Star and the, the uh, Washington Post. 
And um, you could tell one of the one of the pieces of the puzzle was when exactly did Sam and Friends air during its whole run? Uh, Jane and Jim used to say, oh, it was on twice a day and it was on before The Tonight Show and before the evening news. But that was only part of the run. It had a very complicated schedule or jumped around. So nowadays, just sitting in the comfort, comfort of your home, you can look up all of these newspapers and go on a daily basis and, and, and look at the TV listings for 1955, 1956, and you can see what was on. You know, there, were, there was a gap. Uh, while I was doing this, I was, while I was doing the research, I kept Excel calendars of you know, that whole run from 1955 through 1961. And if there was an episode, I would put it on the calendar. And then I'd find gaps. And I'd go to the TV listings and say, why are there not two episodes on those days? And I can say, oh, you know, uh, according to the newspaper, uh, WRC, the station that Sam and Friends was on, was broadcasting the World Series on those two days. So there was no Salmon Friends. Um, so <laughs> short of actually seeing tapes or, or kinescopes of these episodes, um, you know, this was a, a lot of information. Yeah. It's interesting you say that Jim was really good at keeping tapes of things because I think I heard somebody say once that he wasn't really the kind of guy to go back and watch his old stuff. He was always thinking about what he was going to do in the future. So why do you think he kept the tapes? And it wasn't just the tapes. He kept so many things. He didn't necessarily go back and look at them himself, but he figured that they could be important to somebody someday. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the things, and I, I tell the story in the book, uh, when I was working at Henson, um, you know, early on, I was working in the archives. They hadn't yet hired um, the archivist, Karen Falk, who's been there uh, for quite a long time and, and was yeah. instrumental in doing this book. Um, so I was sort of filling in and I had to go out to the offsite storage facility and sort through the public relations files because I was working in public relations at the time. And someone from the production department gave me a list and said, here, here are about six or seven uh, old production files. We don't need them anymore. You can have them if you want for archives. And um, I went out and I found those files and in it were all of those Salmon Friends scripts and the first sketches of Rolf and the storyboards for Sesame Street I and mean, basically all of the important uh, pieces of paper from the first 15 years of the Henson Company. And Jim saved it all, but he just sent it to storage. It wasn't important to him, but he thought it would be important someday. And those boxes contain so much of what's been put on exhibit in the past few years. Um, you know, a lot of really, really cool stuff. Now, the book, of course, features a foreword from Frank Oz. And of all the people alive today, he's probably the most impressive person you could have got. <laughs> yeah, Frank is really great. And I spent, uh, you know, I worked at the Henson Company before I moved to the Jim Henson Legacy. I worked for the Henson Company for about 14 years. And I got to work uh, fairly closely with Frank for some of that time where we would, I would write material for Miss Piggy going on the Today Show or, or various, you know, interviews. And I got to know him a bit and spend time with him. And he's an incredibly funny uh, man. And he also um, had a great deal of appreciation and, and um, you know, respect for Jim Henson and, and for, uh, you know, the work that, that Jim did. You know, Jim brought him on right after Sam and Friends. Um, and he, when um, 
Jim first met Frank, Sam and Friends was going on, but Frank was still in high school. So he was too young to come and work in New York. So Jerry Jewell, who was a, another friend of Frank's, got the job instead. Um, but I figured that, you know, Frank was one of the, the last people standing, so to speak, <laughs> who was around for that. Uh, era, even if he didn't work directly on Sam and Friends, he still uh, worked on a lot of the stuff that came directly after Sam and Friends. So I reached out to Frank and I asked him to uh, write the forward. And I was expecting to have to give uh, you know an in-depth argument and, and wear him down over mm -hmm. months and months. And within two hours, he said, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Wow. And um, yeah, and it was just so, so kind of him. And he did a really nice uh, forward. And every time I sent him various, um, you know, versions of the book to look at, he, you know, his only comment was, oh, you know, that forward, it seems an awful lot of, about me. You can really cut it down <laughs> if you want to. You know? <laughs> Early on, he was saying, how long do you want it to be? And I said, well, you know, if you make it, you know, a thousand words is fine, or you can, you can make it, you know, a hundred thousand words, I won't have to write the rest of the book but uh he uh you know he, if he kept on saying oh you know you can cut mine down cut mine down but it you know it was really really nice yeah. so I, I didn't cut it so what was it like working for jim henson himself i had very little uh time working with jim um because uh, i had only, i was only at the company a couple of years before he passed away but i did yeah. um i can say that it, you know he had a very laid back way of working one of my the first piece of material that i wrote that was performed by the muppets was performed by jim as as kermit and it was uh, when the henson company was first going to be sold uh to disney that deal ended up not happening at that time because jim passed away but they wanted to make this announcement at the um, disney shareholder meeting so they had Kermit, um, you know, I think it had been announced before, but they wanted to have Kermit appear at the, the shareholder meeting. So we did a video um, of Kermit greeting the Disney shareholder. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Holders and having a little interaction with um, Michael Eisner, who was the head of the company at that time, head of Disney. And um, I wrote the script and then it got rewritten. You know, I think all of the, the three people who were doing writing stuff at, at Henson Company at the time had hands on that. Bill Prady and Jim Lewis, and then myself, and some combination of us. Um, you know, I wrote a first draft, then Jim, then Bill, and then it came back to me. And um, by the time it was done, um, it fell to me to go over to our New York studio where it was going to be taped. So I was going to be the writer on set. And, you know, Jim knew me a bit. Um, but this was the first time that, you know, I was really spending, uh, you know, time with him as a writer. And um, I was as very nervous, but he was incredibly laid back. You know, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I was sometimes nervous and intimidated by him, but not through anything he did. Mm -hmm. He was always about, um, you know, he, he was always about trying to make people, um, you know, feel at ease. Um, he was very soft spoken. He definitely knew how he wanted things. But he had a very casual and laid back way of getting there. But I, I think I, I still have a tape where, you know, I, I had to deliver the Michael Eisner lines so Kermit Ooh. could react to them. And I, I hear this, you know, I, I was, you know, probably like 23 at the time. And I hear my little, my little soft voice, you know, doing the, the line so Kermit can react. And, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to not miss my cues. And, you know, it went very well. And, and, you know, Jim was just really having fun with it. And he would slate the takes by putting his finger up in the in front of the camera. And then Kermit would react to seeing the, the finger. Um, and, it, you know, he was just having fun. Yeah. My memory of him was just also enjoying things. You know, he, um, you know, I, I remember... Um, one of the last times I, I spent time with him was when they were shooting a TV special called The Muppets at Walt Disney World. And I went down, I, I got to go down for that shoot because I was writing the press kit 
for the public relations department. And I remember sitting directly opposite Jim at one of the lunch breaks and they had a great catering thing. And I just remember him enjoying that lunch. And, you know, it's like, oh, these brownies are really good. You know, he just appreciated things around him. Yeah, absolutely. Now, shortly after his death, there was, of course, the TV special, The Muppets Celebrate Jim Henson. And you actually did a bit of puppetry in that, didn't you? You performed Waldorf. (laughs) I did. I was Waldorf and I played a penguin, too. Um, But uh, it was one of those... um, they kind of referred to them as all hands on deck situations um, and the hands were quite literal um, because they wanted big crowds and you couldn't really afford to pay full uh, rates for um, puppeteers and a lot of times you didn't have that many people available anyway. So a lot of folks who were not necessarily full-time puppeteers would be pressed into service on those dates. but uh, so I, w- I was Waldorf and Duncan Kenworthy, who is a esteemed producer of, of many things. Uh, he was Statler. And then, you know, you go down our row and it's Bill Prady, the writer who went on to co-create Big Bang Theory and Cheryl Henson. And, you know, so it's a row of people who don't do this every day. Yeah. But uh, I at that time, I was exploring a possible future in puppetry. Um, but I'm, I'm just not that good at it. <laughs> yeah. Now, by complete coincidence, I've just looked up on the shelf here and I've got one of your previous books, The Muppets Character Encyclopedia. How did you get the chance to work on that? Well, that was interesting. Uh, Jim Lewis, who I worked with for many years at uh, Henson, he has, uh, you know, he, he was at working at Disney um, and he'd been at Disney for quite some time as their sort of main Muppet in-house writer and editorial yeah. person, uh, sort of responsible for maintaining character mm-hmm. integrity. And they had decided to do this character encyclopedia with uh, DK Publishing. And at first they said, well, Jim, do you want to write this? And um, Jim thought of me because I, uh, you know, I had a, um, you know, this interest in the historical stuff, but I had also written a lot of character material. Mm. So they approached me, Disney and DK approached me to write this. And then uh, Jim served as sort of the editorial supervisor. So I would write, you know, 10 character write-ups at a time and, and send them to Jim and we'd go back and forth and edit them and, and revise them. Uh, but it was a very, very fast uh, process. You know, the Sam and Friends book took like three or four years, but the um, character encyclopedia had to be done in a matter of months because oh. it had to meet a specific release date. It was being done to promote, um, I think it was being done to promote the Muppets Most Wanted book yeah. uh, movie. So, um, they had to get it in stores at a certain date to tie into that. So, uh, you know, it was a bit of a bit of a rush, but it was, you know, it, it, it turned out pretty well. Did you have to invent a lot of the facts about the characters or was it all stuff that was true before? I did invent some things. And uh, so Jim and I would um, come up with things that we just thought were appropriate. Um, yeah. And also we, um, you know, it, it seemed like, um, I think it was Dr. Strangepork we said was from Hamelburg, Germany. <laughs> and it seemed like, oh, well, Hamelburg, but also, you know, hey, Hamelburg is where um, Hogan's Heroes uh, took place. 
the POW camp right outside of Hamelburg. So, hey, you know, let's do a nod to classic television. And uh, some of the things that we made up were also ways of doing little Easter eggs because we were not permitted to mention anything in the real world um, in terms of the people who work in the workshop. It was all had to be, had to stay in character. So we made up a few things that were little homages to people that uh, look after the Muppets. Uh Now, you're also the president of the Jim Henson legacy. What exactly does that involve? Well, the Jim Henson legacy is an organization that Jane Henson started uh, a couple of years after Jim passed away. And um, she really had a great amount of foresight in doing this because uh, she concluded that uh, originally it was just an organization to sort of receive honors on Jim's behalf. Um, so when people were reaching out, you know, we want a name of school after Jim or we want to do this. And she felt that it would be appropriate to have an organization that can communicate with people. And um, being a nonprofit, it could sort of isolate itself a little bit from the Henson Company. Um, and then as time went on and as the Henson company was sold and then came back to the Henson family and then the character groups uh, were sold off to Sesame Workshop and to Disney, uh, the importance of the legacy increased because the Jim Henson legacy is the only organization that could still celebrate and honor all of Jim's creations under his name. Because Sesame Street really can't use Jim Henson's name and Disney doesn't use Jim Henson's name and uh, the Henson Company can use Jim Henson's name, but they can't really talk a lot about the classic Muppets or the Sesame characters. And we're able to do things that put everything under that Jim Henson umbrella. And that was sort of Jane's uh, thinking is she was confident that the Henson characters would continue under these different ownerships. But she wanted to make sure that Jim Henson as an individual, as an artist, was never forgotten. So we're able to do things like museum exhibitions, uh, and uh, we helped uh, put together the permanent exhibits that are at the, the Museum of the Moving Image and the Center for Puppetry Arts. There's a traveling exhibit now that the Museum of the Moving Image does. And we did a touring screening series, and we did um, uh, we worked with uh, the Square Eyes Foundation in um, New Zealand a few years ago, and we did a huge event, the Jim Henson Retro Spectacle. And it had, because it was a Jim Henson tribute, we it was hosted and and directed and uh, by Brett McKenzie, and I worked with wow. Brett to to write the script. But we were able to do this full concert in the in, in with the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra with the Muppets and uh, and characters from all of the character groups in on one stage so we were able to have Sesame Street Muppets we were able to have the classic Muppets with Kermit and Miss Piggy and we were able to have uh, Red Fraggle did a thing we did uh, the the orchestra played a suite from the Dark Crystal so we were able to put all of that in one uh, concert in a way that any one of the character group owners would have a hard time doing. But since we are a nonprofit organization and we were doing everything under Jim Henson's name, they allowed us to, you know, play with all of the characters. 
that sounds like so much fun. It was. It was really amazing. Now, have you got any more books coming out after this current one, or is it too early to say? It's too early to say. I have a couple of things that I want to work on. Um, but uh, for now, I'm just uh, enjoying this one. And, yeah. and uh, you know, it's uh, it was really a, a labor of love. And I think... Um, I have a couple of more projects that I'm thinking about, uh, mm -hmm. some relating to Jim Henson and some not. Uh, but for the time being, I just uh, hope people will enjoy this one. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that I, I had a great time doing it. So I hope people uh, have as at least as much of a good time reading it. And apart from books, is there anything else you're working on that you're allowed to talk about? There are a couple of things I'm not allowed to talk about. <laughs> but uh, one of the th ongoing things that I do in New York, I work with uh, an organization called the Little Orchestra Society. And it's a, an organization that uh, puts on um, classical music, uh, you know, sometimes they don't like to call it classical music, let's say serious music concerts um, for aimed at, at children to try and, and make this kind of music a positive experience for them. So I've been writing and directing um, these uh, concerts for uh, several years. So we're about to begin our, our next season. Uh, so if anybody is listening who is in, uh, coming to New York City, go to the Little Orchestra Society's website and uh, you can get information about that. Excellent. Well, this new book is called Sam and Friends, the story of Jim Henson's first television show. It's, of course, by Craig Sheman. And where is it available? Any particular places? Yes. Well, it can be uh, if you are in the UK, and I think a lot of people listening to this are, uh, Amazon UK has it. Um, if you're not in the UK, uh, you can, I, I think um, my publisher, bearmannermedia.com, I don't think they ship outside of the US, but uh, you could, if you're in the US, you can order it from bearmannermedia.com, barnesandnoble.com, uh, and I think Amazon everywhere has access to this. So um, it uh, should be available most anywhere you are. Excellent. Well, many thanks for joining us today. It's been very interesting to talk to you. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. 
seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. The Throbbing Pulse of Sound, the Toby Gribben Show.